My name's Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 93 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So what's going on, man? How's it going, Liam? Yo, yo, <laughs> yo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've been I've been really trying to hit the, the sub teaching thing because uh, there was, I don't, I don't, you know, it's February, <coughs> end of January, there was a lot of snow alicious activity a lot of right, snow right. snow like snowiness and so uh i missed a bunch of days and then we realized that that was bad for the for the old pocketbook so i'm trying to trying to work a little bit more than i was and uh it's going pretty good it's going pretty good actually um you know a little less bummed about it but it's still not my favorite so i'm trying to come up with some other some other schemes as well hey you got yeah you got to keep the mind active that's what they say yeah you know but, what i'm uh, saying but the beginning of the week, I didn't, I didn't work at all because I went to New York. And ah. you, know, you know what I was doing in New York? No. What were you doing in New York, Liam? I was going to the New York premiere of a little movie called Horror Noir. Horror Noir. A history. What was it called? What's the full title? That's a good question, actually. What is the full title? I thought you would have had this taken care of. Oh, man. No. I mean, I saw it, too, at home. Not in no New York City. <laughs> You know oh, I thought you went to, but you went to the Philly one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where I went. Yeah, home, yeah. Philadelphia. You might have heard of it. Well, you could have watched it like today at home. You know. What oh I mean? yeah, no, I did, I did. But um, you know, yeah, I got to see it with uh, Exhumed and uh, Horror Noir: A History of Black Horror. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, what? Well, we're 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 gonna get to it when we get to that. That is the meat of our topic today, listeners. Yeah. So I saw it Monday. You saw it Tuesday, and we yeah. both thought this is something we should talk about. You know, it's February. It's something that friends did. That's really great. It's, it's also connected to Women in Horror Month, so it just seemed like a good sort of subject all around. But you know, it it, it it's something we can talk about without stepping on the toes of horror business too much. Don't want to bum out Justin. Right. Moore. Right, right, right. No one wants to bum out Justin Moore because we love him so much. But uh, yeah, we figured that it would be an interesting topic of discussion for today, given that it's uh, Women in Horror Month and a uh, friend of the show is one of the main uh, movers on this on this movie. But also it's Black History Month, so we decided that we would talk about some movies that were pertinent to that, right? Yep. So we're doing Horror Noir and then we're doing uh, Black Wax, which is a concert film slash documentary it, it feels more like a concert film than a documentary. yeah it feels more like a concert film but it's a it's pretty awesome uh movie about gil scott heron who is one of my favorite musicians and uh i do even despite you know uh liam had pointed out earlier that there's a problematic past to him of course uh i still grew up listening to gil scott so it's one of those things where it's like i get it and i understand but he's still some of his songs still hit me in very and poems too. Some of his poems yeah. still hit me very uh, close to my heart. So, well, we'll talk about it. There's a lot to talk about there, and I think this, you know, the movie itself definitely is pretty easy to get behind all the way through, and has a lot of interesting things as well as his art. So, there's a lot there. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a pretty cool episode today. Yeah. So, this uh, this episode is brought to you, as always, by our lovely supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon uh, supporters. Patreon. If you go to Patreon... Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Patreon. Your accent's yeah. coming up. Pa- Patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. 
go check it out. Um, we really want to grow that. Right now, we're, we're at a pretty steady group. Uh, we appreciate everyone who's on there supporting us. We have some long-term supporters on there. Some of them we know very well. Some of them are people who apparently just like the website and like the show, and, and we appreciate that. Um, and we're going to be – we keep promising this, and I swear we're going to fall through. We're going to add some Patreon-only content. Some Patreon-exclusive content, man. Yeah. Oh, the future we'll is here. We've, yeah. we've reached the future, Liam. That's what it is. The, and the future will be televised? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Who about. knows? Who knows? Uh, this is also brought to you by our lovely uh, friends at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. XLVACX.com. Yeah. If you have something you want to get printed, like, uh, I don't know, sweatpants, a T-shirt. Well, definitely not a T-shirt. A design for a number <laughs> of T-shirts. Then uh, LVAC is where you want to go. Uh, we know we have a lot of friends who listen to this who have bands or they have small companies or they have podcasts. If you have any of these things and you're printing your merch anywhere else than LVAC, you are a poser and uh, we don't like you. No, that's not true. <laughs> but but we think you should support them. Um, they uh, hook us up. They're supporters of this show. Uh, and I know that I use them for my uh, small company I'm starting called Rough Cut. Uh, thanks to everyone who ordered a bunch of rough cut prints. I saw so the shirts. So sick, sickest shirts. So yeah. sick. I saw the shirts coming off. There was a video of the shirts coming off the the heater today, and they look really good. I'm pretty stoked on them. So that's awesome. Uh, keep it, keep it, keep an eye out. We have some exclusives coming up. We might. I don't know if this episode is going to get up before Valentine's Day. I hope it does because we have a Valentine's Day only thing coming out. It's oh really my cool. god! So I think sorry. we're actually going to drop it before valentine's day but it'll only it'll be done on valentine's day you won't be able to order it past valentine's day so uh if you're hearing this go check out rough cut prints or uh, rough cut shirts it's rough cut shirts.com uh, <laughs> yeah so that was a that was an ad for both lvac and us because they'll get the money if we get those shirts done <laughs> okay liam so now it's time for our patented section patented a segment that is clamored for across the globe people love it that people love, known as Whackin' on, on track. track. That was good. That was really good. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Man. So what's been up, Liam? What's been whack? What's been on track in the world of Liam? Well, uh, not a lot. I mean, we. The, it's the, the plus of recording more often is that we get stuff out to y'all. The negative is it's hard to... Uh, have stuff to talk about walking on track especially because i'm working a lot and you know i'm a dad all that stuff but uh, a couple of things i wanted to mention as we said i had a great time at the uh har noir screening we're going to talk more about that but i just want to say if you're in the new york area and you haven't been up to bam i really like that as a film venue i like the theater we were in i like going there uh, and i'm going to try to get to new york more but we'll see what happens um, recently i watched a movie called the New Kids. You know about this movie? No, I do not. What is this movie? Oh man! So I think it came out. It came out recently on Blu-ray, and I don't know if it's um, if it's uh, I think it might be Kino who put it out, or it might be um, one of these other sort of limited edition Johns that put it out. But it's one of these '80s. Let's call it exploitation light. It's 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 a movie that. It doesn't need to be an exploitation movie. It very easily could have stayed a, a teen, a fun teen movie, but it mm -hmm. takes a bit of a turn. Um, so it's uh, uh, from 1985, directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Stars uh, Shannon Presby, Lori Laughlin, James wow. James Spader, nice. uh, 
a very, very young Eric Stoltz that you almost, you know, don't recognize. And uh, Sean S. Cunningham. Oh, wait. This is the one about the about the amusement park. It is. Ah, oh, so Did you, good. Have you watched it? I haven't, I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't really remember too much of it. I just remember Eric Stoltz is like super young. And then uh, it's the girl from, uh, what was the sitcom that she was in? She, uh, Full House. Full House. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Sean S. Cunningham, you may know from uh, a little movie called Friday the 13th. Never heard of um, it. And then he did other things as well that I don't think people really talk about that much. Uh, though I also kind of like Deep Star 6, or rather, I liked it when I saw it as a kid. Maybe it's not good, and I just don't remember. Um, <laughs> and he did that Spring Break movie, which is actually very bad. Uh, right. Anywho, uh, oh, oh my God, he did a Bruce Campbell movie called Terminal Invasion in 2002? Wow. Well, that's got to be bad. But The New Kids <laughs> is not bad. The New Kids is basically... Um, our two main characters, they live with Tom Atkins, who is their military dad, and he trains them, and it's all very pro-military, and it's kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, but it means that they're tough. And then Tom Atkins and his wife, they go to get this special award, and then they die in a car crash. And so their kids have to go live in Florida, which this <laughs> is not fun Miami, Florida. This is country-ass, country-hick Florida. Yeah. Uh, and they live with their uncle and aunt who run, uh, who are opening a new amusement park that has been kind of abandoned. And uh, they run afoul of the local gang of ruffians led by a James uh, Spader weirdly blonde James Spader and <laughs> basically <laughs> basically uh everyone wants to you know the our main characters is the brother and sister uh, brother's older sister's younger sister's like barely pubescent she's like a freshman and all these horny ass senior hicks want to fuck her Whoa. and so all this issue is that she like won't I mean and the way that they they basically are incels, like they basically like neg her in order to like get her to like them, and she's like an actual normal person who doesn't want to be treated like trash, so she <laughs> blows them off, and it turns into war. And the whole movie is like just normal high school stuff. Like there's fights and stuff, and it gets a little crazy. But at a certain point, they basically kidnap her from the prom and the movie turns from normal teens not getting along maybe a little excessive because these teens are like bad kids but all of a sudden it turns into like a murder <laughs> film with a like a gunfight in the thing it's so good i oh, love man. it i mean it's so good if you like corny 80s action films and you like movies that are like exploitation light which is right, basically what right, the movie right. is but when it turns it really turns like yeah, it really James takes a turn Dude, James Spader is so white in this movie that that's he's the only so, thing I remember. <laughs> oh my god, he's so fucked up in it. And yeah, it, dude. I, I I just think it's 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 a Gonzo movie that isn't afraid to take chances, and that's what I want. And uh, I like it. Now, is it kind of a cornball thing? Sure, sure, sure. But but I I appreciated that about it. I thought it was well done. Um, and it's a movie that is a little bit of like a woman in peril, which I don't love. But she fights back, and she never gets like assault like she gets kidnapped but there's no like uncomfortable rape scene which like in a lot of these 80s movies yeah, they have that and it, yeah. it, i don't think it's the worst thing ever but oftentimes it is the you know what i mean like mm. having it isn't the problem it's that not only do they have it but they often have it in like the worst possible way and this yeah. movie manages to like lets you know that she is in danger but allows her to like be a strong individual who stands up for herself and who 
uh, is never actually assault. Well, she's assaulted, but she's never like raped, and that's the part that like is so uncomfortable for me. So I really appreciate that it's not in the film. Um, they definitely try to get her, but she gets away before they can do anything too bad to her. Um, and it's a movie in which then they each pay the price anyway. So it's like, <laughs> hey, you can ever, uh, you know, what amounts to a rape revenge movie with no rape. It's just yeah. There you go. She, she gets away from these idiots, and then her and her brother get to tell them, show them what's going on. You know, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's it's. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, by the time it gets brutal, it's brutal against the people I don't like. So I like that. Pretty good. Um, pretty otherwise, good. I got to say, um, there's a new. I just started that new show on. It's like a co-shutter Sundance show called uh, the Discovery of Witches or something like that. Right. Um, right. It's it's pretty good so far, but we'll see where it goes. Um, and I've, I've, as everyone knows, I'm a nerd for shows like The Flash and uh, Riverdale and all those things. So I've been <laughs> catching up on all those genres. The only one that's new that I don't know if it's getting the attention it should, it's a show on Netflix called Sex Education. Yeah. It's really I, great. It's really is it? great. Yeah, I you like it. I highly recommend it. Ah, okay. Is it as good as Big Mouth? <laughs> it's different than Big Mouth. It's different. It's different. It's different. So, uh, but I, I'm not done it yet. So we'll see where it goes. But where I'm at with it, I really, really enjoy it. So I think other people should check it out too. Uh, but that's about it. You know, I haven't been able to get out to the movies. Honestly, there's not much in the theater I want to see now anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I've really had a lot of stuff to watch for the various podcasts I'm doing. So I just haven't caught up with anything like too new yet. Right. Right. Okay. Sounds good, man. I'm going to go ahead and say I believe you. Well, uh, Whack is, just like you said, this is kind of like a dead time for movies, right? Like, there isn't any movies that I've been, like, clamoring to see right now. And that kind of bums me out because there's always, like, there's always stuff to look forward to. But, like, in the moment, there's always stuff that, like, I can get behind. And lately, I just haven't been able to see anything. I haven't seen any new movies. And uh, except for the movie, one of the movies that we're going to talk about today, Horror Noir, I haven't really seen any new movies coming out lately. Same. And so that is my whackness. Like, dude, I just kind of feel like there isn't anything that I'm really pumped on right now. I mean, I haven't seen Glass yet, so there's that. That's still out there. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm ready to see it. I saw the first two. Why are you going to not see the third one? You know what I mean? Like that's. I'll that's see it, but I'm going to wait to see it at home. Yeah, I, I want to see it, though. I'll, I'll try. I mean, it doesn't. It, it's not the kind of thing where like, I got to see that shit in big screen or whatever. But, you know, so um, on track, uh, what have I done? Oh, so last weekend, I managed to make it to Championship Bar in Trenton, New Jersey to see Mushmouth. Here's the thing, listeners of Cinepunks. You went to see Mushmouth? I went to see Mushmouth and Death Threat. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Oh, I guess I didn't mention this to you. So, uh, fans of the podcast and listeners, here's the thing. I'm a fat dude. I don't know if you guys know that. You might have seen it on the pictures or whatever, but yeah, it's true. And so uh, my wife, kind as she is and lovely as she is, she is, uh, got me on this diet. Of which I'm not eating very much. That's that's the, the end of it that you have to know. That, you know, it's a it's a thing. I'm just trying to lose some LBs, trying to get, you know, live longer, so on and so forth. So on this particular day, this is like maybe the second day that I was on the John. And I was home. And Melania is class on the weekends now because, you know, she's uh, finishing up her MBA. And um, so I was just kind of home by myself on my day off. And I was like, man, just thinking about stuff that I'm not eating. That is when a uh, Patreon subscriber and friend of the show and uh, former bandmate of mine, Mr. Bruce Park, hits me up and he's like, yo, man, you want to come to come with me to Trenton to see the show? And I was like, who's playing? He's like, oh, it's Mushmouth. I was like, yes, let's do this. 
Now, the funny thing, Liam, that you may or may not know about the scene is that I was wearing full length camo short or pants. Of course you <laughs> so were. I was like, yeah, OK, let's do this shit. I'm fucking dressed for it already. So let's get in there. Uh, what I didn't realize is that Bruce is the kind of friend who uh, gets there before the first band of a 10 band festival. <laughs> of course. So listeners of the show, I was at the show in Trenton from like four o'clock to like midnight and i saw like 30 bands it was like the winter jam or something like that and there's like a billion bands uh of the bands uh there was a bunch that were like of course they were all really good it was good to see like um just a bunch of new bands and uh you know seeing i haven't seen Mushmouth since i lived in north jersey a million years ago and all that stuff but uh, i got to see nowhere roads do you know about this band Liam? no i've heard of them but i haven't heard them yet so Nowhere Roads is a super group that has um, Evan from Wisdom and Chains playing bass and a good friend of mine and uh, label master, Mr. Vincent Spina of Harvcore Records. He's on guitar. He's also of uh, Edgewise fame. And then um, Keith Rickard is the singer and uh, Kingshot from, uh, from Floor Punch is the uh, drummer. And uh, I forget the name of the other guitar player. He's a uh, Joe, I think his name is. He's probably the only one that I didn't know going in. But, uh, you know, they just released a new 7-inch, and uh, this is their second show. So it was cool seeing that, and uh, I love Vince very much. He put out my uh, my band Halo of Snakes a long time ago, and uh, so, like, him doing a band's always, like, a big deal for me. So it definitely was cool to go out and see them. But, man, there's a lot of bands, buddy. There's a lot of bands. I was, <laughs> I was there for a while. That's all I'm saying. And here's the thing, too. I wasn't, like hanging out while bands are playing i was watching each and every of the bands so uh that's that is crazy yeah it was pretty wild stuff and here's here's one of the things uh mosh in 2019 not the same as you and i remember liam that's all i'm gonna say oh i'm sure i'm sure oh my god mosh in trenton new jersey in 2019 different than i remember i will say however when Bushmouth went on uh he did this uh the singer guy was doing this whole all right, New Jersey, show me what you got. And there was a moment when I puffed up my chest and felt that shit in my heart again. You know what I mean? Like I feel that. I feel dude, that. Coming up in New Jersey, like, okay, so, like, uh, everybody knows I spent most of my time, like, I went to college in central New Jersey in Elizabeth, even though I'm from Cherry Hill. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia was always my home scene. That being said, I hit those uh, those formative years when I was living in Central Jersey and then going to shows between New York City and New Brunswick and everywhere in between, right? I went to the Fieldsboro American Legion Hall to see Floor Punch. I was in Chatham when By the Grace of God and Earth Crisis played there. Like, that was like New Jersey hardcore was like, oh, I love New Jersey hardcore. That's my shit. It's in my blood. Like, that's my thing. And every time a band would be like, all right, New Jersey, let's fucking go. I used to mosh my hard out like that was my favorite favorite thing and then you know i've been living in philadelphia since 2002 or whatever and uh you know haven't been to as many new jersey hardcore shows or hardcore shows in general that's the other thing that i realized like man i haven't been to a hardcore show in like a really long time so then when mushmouth were playing and they were doing that whole like come on new jersey stuff i definitely got like that feeling again and uh, yeah, man, that shit was awesome. And uh, Death Threat played, and um, they are not the Death Threat that has members of His Heroes Gone in it. I'm going to put that out there. Okay. So uh, different Death Threat, different Death Threat. Yeah, totally different band. But uh, it was a really fun day. I had a really good time hanging out with uh, John Wren, who does the mandate on our uh, beautiful network here. And uh, I got to hang out with, um, in effect, hardcore Mr. Josh Durr and Lori. 
and oh, I uh, love Josh. He's great. Yeah, it was. They had just been through some harrowing business with their six-week-old son. Totally, much and, love um, and, and thinking about them. Yeah, but uh, everything's cool, and they're in the clear. And uh, bass player from Cross Keys, Andrew Welbrock, and his wife Devin took care of their kids while they came out to Trenton to, to watch the hardcore show. So it was really fun hanging out with Josh and just talking a lot of shit and uh, hanging out with Vince and Ann. Love you guys so much. It was it was just a really fun night. And uh, hanging out with Bruce, of course, my main role dog, Bruce Park. Big up to Bruce. So, um, so Bruce. Yeah, it was a it was a really fun night, and uh, it definitely brought me to uh, at at, a four, at forty one years old. It definitely brought me to a time when I definitely was uh, a happy hardcore dude and just loved hardcore. And so I've it was definitely cool been trying. I've definitely been trying to pick what event will be my end of show retirement because I just haven't been to a show. I keep having ones come up, and I say I'm going to go, and then I, I can't make it work with my schedule. So I'm like looking ahead, like, okay, I got to pick a real good one and be like, that's it. <laughs> that's the end of, of show retirement is this show. Wow. You're going to do that? You're going to be like, that's it? Hard cut? Liam's done? No, I, I need to pick a good one to come back. I am in show oh, retirement right back. now. Oh, yeah. out of retirement. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I will say I, I got to see so, – dude, let me tell you something. Hardcore style is different than it was when I was a young buck. Okay. But the champion hoodie was all throughout this show. And there was just, you, you remember how it was when you used to go to a show and you were young, you didn't know anybody. And like you saw these people in champion hoodies. You remember that feeling, Liam? Is that a thing that ever happened to you? I definitely remember yeah, going I to shows, so. like going to shows at Middlesex. And seeing, like, oh, the Morris County Youth Crew's here. And they all had, like, these red champion hoodies on. It's like, man. So uh, at the show, uh, Vince and Bruce had this long discussion about their champion hoodies. <laughs> it was a really funny conversation to sit in on. It was, I don't know. It was awesome. I was like, yeah, I remember buying Russell Athletic because that was a cheap one. You can get it for less than 10 bucks. <laughs> like, I, don't, I here's, never. Here's the thing, Josh. You forget <laughs> yeah. that in 1997, I was wearing an Adidas hoodie. Yeah, you and, were. And parachute pants and uh, <laughs> and a bead and a beaded X necklace I made myself. So no, I don't know about champion hoodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember though that you and I had the same body goes numb snapcase t shirt. And oh, yes. you'd wear it to shows and I'd have the same shirt on and be like, Oh man, me and that dude have the same shirt on. Damn. But it was fine. Cause, I, know, yeah. I yeah, I mean I it was funny. <laughs> I really only had a few shirts, but I would wear I had Snapcase. I had strong arm. I ah, I remember your strong off shirt. Yeah, I had Earth Crisis. <laughs> like you, I you had to have the three, victory the big bands. victory three. Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. Strife, Snapcase, Earth yeah. Crisis shit. I had a Grill Biscuit shirt. I had ah. a Boy Sets Fire shirt. I had an Ensign. No, I had two Ensign shirts. The New Jersey Hardcore Garden State Parkway one. Did oh, you have yes. that one? Oh, yes. oh man, so great, right? So yeah, great, totally. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, oh, I had an overcome shirt, which technically I still have and only don't wear because it has those like deodorant crusty spots. Oh you know, when, man, like, the good shirt stuff. would get the yeah. hard spot. Yeah, I still have that <laughs> overcome shirt though, and it still fits even in my fat time because it was too big for me then. <laughs> um, I'm sure I had other stuff too, but those are just the ones that I still stick out to me. Of like, God, I wore that shirt so much. I had a Stave Zaker shirt I'd wear all the time. It was crazy. It was a crazy. So time. awesome. Oh, and awesome of course, time. three different Kid Dynamite shirts. Ah, so good. Dude, you could clothe an army with all the Kid Dynamite merch I have right now. But oh that's not gosh. important. It's not important. It's not important. All right. So, uh, what else? Yeah. So anything so else? So that was on track. Um, other than that, nothing else is... Uh, I mean, whack has been... Uh, yeah, nothing really whack that's been happening lately. But uh, overall, that's that's it. That's it. Also, there's, right. a new, there's a new Bob Mould record out. 
uh, this week called um, it's called Sunshine Rock. Uh, I don't know if you guys like Bob Mould, singer from Husker Du, um, but man, and singer from Sugar, but this new solo record is exactly what it, it says in the title. It is some sunshine-ass rock. It's so good. So give that a spin if you get a chance. Um, the so. only things I'll say, new music I forgot, was uh, there's a, a, a few songs that were pre-released by Angel Dust off their new record. Uh, it's like a little EP called Lil Buff. I really like those songs. I really like that band. I'm into it. And uh, it came out a while ago, but I don't know if I mentioned it. Did I talk about One Step Closer on here before? I don't think so. Uh, One Step Closer is a band. I think they're from Wilkesbury, maybe? I'm actually not sure where they're from. But they just put out an EP called From Me to You uh, on Triple B. It's real good. I like them a lot. I highly recommend if you like... Uh, it's got a bit of like a almost like a new age records turning point kind of feel, ah, but, but maybe a little go. chunkier in some places. I don't know. I like it. Check it out. I actually think you might like it. Check it out and tell me what you think. All right. Uh, I definitely right. will. So we'll take a break and we'll come back to talk about uh, 2018's Horror Noir and 1983's Black Wax. After the break. of democracy pinned up against the coast a house of bureaucracy surrounded by a moat citizens of poverty are barely out of sight the overlords escape near evening the people on the night morning brings the tourists staining eyes and rubber necks perhaps a glimpse of the cowboy making the world a nervous wreck it's a mass of irony for all the world to see It's the nation's capital It's Washington, D.C. It's the nation's capital It's the nation's capital And we're back. Yes, so, sir. 
Uh, we're, we, we're, we're talking about two things that one is very new and one is very old. But I kind of like that. And, I, and I, you know, maybe we'll do that more when we're doing double features occasionally is do something like, hey, this is out right now. And this is you can watch it in, in the in the vaults or whatever. So yeah. uh, we're talking about uh, horror noir, a, a history of black horror and uh, uh, Scott Heron's black wax concert film, which. You know, I think that's on Fandor. If you're wondering, wow, that's a random pick. How do how do I get to watch that, fellas? Uh, you know, you can stop this right now and go watch it on Fandor if you have Fandor. If you yeah. don't have Fandor, you should get it. Fandor is pretty good. It is a 1983 movie that uh, splices together Gil Scott Heron concert footage with his band and him walking around Washington D.C. The streets of D.C. Yeah. So, what do we want to start with here? I, I, we could go chronological. We could go whatever. Let's start with Horror Noir, man. Let's do All it. All right. So Horror Noir is a co-production of, uh, uh, well, I guess F- uh, Fangoria kind of made it, or at least Phil from Fangoria, uh, working with a good friend of the show, Ashley Blackwell, and the author of the original book, uh, Horror Noir, um, and a production production company, I think, called Studio 3. Yeah. Um, all got together. And then Shudder, um, I, I, I think Shudder gave them the money to like put it, together and get it so i think they were pitching the idea and shutter got behind it and now it's a shutter production it's the first yeah. documentary shutters put out and it's so, a shutter exclusive currently i believe so if you're not on shutter yet for uh for those of you who don't know shutter is a streaming service that is uh specifically curated to the horror crowd and uh i yep. do know that if you sign up for it now and you use the code uh w-i-h-m-x uh they give you the first 30 days for free so it's a little uh, women in horror uh, month and all. Uh, yeah, it's like a little promotion that they're doing. So get on that if you don't have Shutter yet. I don't know. It's and, funny. And and the X is is ten. That's ten years of women in horror month. That's pretty huge. Uh, it's so awesome. Yeah. So what are you saying? I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, it's just funny when I talk to people that are like self-professed horror fans and don't subscribe to Shutter. And, uh, you know, Liam, I'm typically not the most technologically advanced individual. But when someone's like, yeah, I love horror movies. Nope, not on Shudder. I'm like, yo, it's $4 a month. Get in there. What are you doing? You yeah, know what I mean? I have to agree. And, uh, you know, I guess some people are, are picky about their curation. Um, and so maybe you're someone who's like, I already own every horror movie on Blu-ray. So why do I need Shudder? But the, <laughs> the thing that people forget is that. I think Shudder's good on two ends because what they're offering you, yes, is classics, things that you've been wanting to see that aren't on Netflix, that aren't on Amazon. Here's a place to see them. But much like this movie, Har Noir, Shudder has some awesome original content. Uh, and then they also are hosting new movies. You know, yeah. for, They had Mandy before other people had Mandy. They have right now a number of uh, small films that you missed that you're not going to get to see unless you get them. You know, Movies maybe eventually like, you will like witch in the windows on there. And, uh, yep. there's a bunch of uh, Satan slaves, the, the, uh, Indonesian movie, I believe like there's so many great movies on shutter. And, uh, if anyone from shutter is listening to this, I just want to say, uh, your booth at comic-con 2018 was amazing. And, uh, you guys are the, one of my favorite streaming services currently just saying, We'll, well, see, and I, we'll see where they are once the Criterion thing launches. Just saying. <laughs> well, and, you know, much respect to one of their main curators is Sam Zimmerman. Uh, Sam Zimmerman is uh, very much 
uh, one of the types of folks we had in mind when we started this. He's a dude from the scene, very much a part of the New York kind of, uh, you know, I, I I need to check with him, but I think he's like a glass draw Thursday kind of guy, uh, okay, but definitely okay. some other stuff too, but very much a dude. He was even in a band. Uh, what band was he in? He's in a band called Dead Ringers. He's in a band oh. called Dead Ringers, named after the, the uh, Cronenberg, Cronenberg movie. movie. It's it's pretty good. Tight. Uh, they're not awesome. huge, like they don't play a lot, but you know he did some shows with them, and he, you know if you met him, you very much get the vibe. He's he's down, yeah. uh, but he's also just a nice dude, and and I think he does great work at Shutter, uh, really trying to you know it, it's not there's not uh, un, untold amounts of money to get these movies right, like some of these movies right. are hard to get, yeah. and so he's doing the work to try to get what he he can with the budget he has to get new people in. Um, you know, they brought back Joe Bob Briggs. They've got special curators coming in and doing stuff. They're getting new movies. They're getting old titles. They're getting rare stuff sometimes. So, uh, and this is their first project. But you know, this was the brainchild of of good friend of of the show of the website, uh, Ashley Blackwell. Uh, I've known her for quite a while. She she was doing stuff with uh, our friend uh, Jennifer Rogers for a while. Mm-hmm. She she last year. When they were still, you know, getting this project off the ground, she did an episode of Horror Business, which was really great. And uh, we just really appreciate her and really appreciate the work she's done at Graveyard Shift Sisters. Uh, and then she, you know, got Phil on board, who's one of the, um, the uh, editors, editors in chief of Fango. Yeah. Yeah. Was, then, were, um, were they at the screening that you went to in Brooklyn? So Phil was there. Uh, he wasn't on the panel, but he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley, the panel was Ashley. It was the director, Xavier. It was Tanarive Du, who is one of the uh, uh, experts in the movie, who I've been following on Twitter for a long time. She's a professor, academic, and an author who does short stories. She has an awesome story in the new Fangoria that's illustrated by Jennifer Rogers, uh, who I already said is a friend of the, of the show, who's been on a couple times. Um and then there was also uh, a director whose name I, I I didn't catch, and a comic book artist. They were they were just sort of more local New York people who could talk about stuff. Who was at your? Who was the panel at your screening of uh, horror noir? The panel at my screening was actually pretty awesome. It was uh, Ashley, and uh, it was um, uh, Phil Nobile was there as well, and he was the one that was like running the Q and A and all that stuff. Sure. And then it was. Um, I believe the, the person's name was Danielle Burroughs, one of the person who, uh, uh, I guess, worked on it with Ashley. Like she was. Yeah, uh, and then, she, yeah. And, and then the person from uh, Studio Three. Oh, uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I forget what that person's name was. Uh, Kelly Ryan, I believe, was her name. Yeah. yeah the executive producer from, uh, from Studio Three. So it was pretty awesome. It was really interesting because, like, you know, it was like a exhumed screening, right? And they they uh, they coupled it with a thirty five millimeter screening of Candyman, which okay. apparently is like the only existing copy of that thirty five millimeter print in like in North America. So, but it was awesome because it was like you know we've been going to exhumed films for like you know twenty years now. Yeah, real. And uh, we we've, we've come up in this community, right? Like I I mean you know. You know me, Liam. Sometimes I have uh, I have uh, issues like feeling parts of communities and stuff, and feeling like, oh yeah, here I am. Like this is a thing. Like I'm part of this. But uh, you know, Exhumed has done a very good job of curating this Philadelphia like 
uh, community. There's no other word for it. And like everybody was there and it was cool seeing Ashley in front of everybody. And uh, Jen was there and like friend of the show, Dan Tabor, previous guest, and uh, Rob Scavarlo, like all the homies, and Matt Garrett was in the house. Like everybody was there. And it just felt like a really fun. I mean, I don't really know. Like, it felt awesome. It felt like we were there to see a thing. Like, hometown person, yeah, like does an good, event. You know, it's what a mean? big, yeah. it's a big event, and it's a film that came out of Philly. You know, Phil's in Philly, Ashley's in Philly, but even some of the work that went into it was in Philly. And of yeah. course, they did stuff in New York too. But you know, it, it very much feels like it came from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty awesome to see it. And I mean, like, dude, we saw it at the Ibrahim uh, Theater at the International House, and it just felt like, oh man, this feels like so cool like i felt cool for a minute you know what i mean even though i have nothing to do with anything you know what i mean like like i said barely a part of any community really but i definitely felt like yo man this is awesome like we're all here and that's the other thing like the movie was straight packed like i don't know if it was sold out or whatever but you know how it is at the i house liam like when it's sold out or it's like filled to the gills it just feels like man there's like a, yeah there's an energy there you know what i mean and it definitely it felt like how i felt when we went to the very first uh 24-hour horror festival like felt like that well so, me and me and justin went to we actually ended up going to new york because they announced the the new york screening first and we really wanted to catch it in the theater uh so we missed the philly one so sorry to philly people but we we went to it was at bam the rose cinema at the brooklyn academy of music and like i said philly and ashley were there um sam zimmerman from uh shutter was there a uh, friend of the show matt barone who runs the uh Brooklyn Horror Film Fest was there uh, and we got to meet a couple people in the crowd you know just how Justin is he's always hyping up horror <laughs> business so yeah, just yeah, a random yeah. random nice lady sitting next to us he's he's talking to her about the podcast you know so nice. that that was cool and, and, and it was cool getting to talk to a couple people afterwards uh, I don't know did you stay for Candyman or did you dip out uh, I had to dip because like uh, you know I worked the next day and all that stuff right. and I couldn't stay in West Philly until like midnight or whatever but it was definitely awesome like sitting there and seeing it on the big screen you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. uh, they're, they're, it's such. And here's the thing, Liam. Like, I don't w- like as a movie. What What were your thoughts? Like, I was held the entire time. Well, yeah, I think we can transition to actually talking about the movie now. So, for those of you who don't know, um, this is a topic that uh, it's you know it's coming from this book, which is a lot more academic. I can definitely recommend it. The author of the book is one of the big voices in the documentary. But also, if you've been reading Ashley's. Uh, website graveyard shift sisters it's something they've been talking about for a while uh they're focused a little bit more on on black women specifically but they they do sort of a broader take as well but it's this idea that um uh black folks have been very uh prominent in the audiences when it comes to horror but they've had a mixed relationship with the medium itself and the representation in the medium yeah um and but what i think it was brilliant about it, it you know it starts with this idea of not necessarily focusing on uh horror alone but the idea of black folks in cinema uh with the great insight from tannerive do of uh <clears throat> black history is black horror that yeah. that that yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. part of the reason that um black americans have been so able to connect to horror as a genre not all but many have is because the history of the african-american experience is one of horror one of subjugation one of oppression and violence and death and that's even present in the cinema even as we look at these movies that aren't necessarily uh thought of as horror movies that they are if they're representing a black experience 
movies of horror, at least horror for black people. And I thought that was a really powerful place to start uh, and sort of set the tone for the movie, which is this idea of um, what's at stake in these films and what they're representing is both the literal experience of representation in the actors and directors, whatever, but then also the psychological experience of telling the story of America, of representing the experiences of people and of, uh, uh, you know, the audience sort of seeing themselves or not seeing themselves on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, it does start in a very, like, intense spot because they talk about uh, Birth of a Nation being one of the first movies that was approved and shown in the White House, like one of the first movies to be shown at the White House, if not the first movie, I believe. No, and, it uh, was the first movie yeah. because motherfucking Woodrow Wilson, let's just put yeah, this that's out there it. right Woodrow now, Wilson. is a giant goddamn racist, has always been, a, you know, was always a giant goddamn racist. Um, and while he was very important to the history of this country, let's not pretend that my man was not a white supremacist. Yeah, it, it's it's. It's, it's insane, though, that it starts at that point, and yet the movie maintains uh, a level of levity. It doesn't feel dour. You know what I mean? Like, even though oh, it has horror noir. Horrific- no, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought one of the most brilliant aspects, so for those who haven't seen it yet, though you should really see it, um, it's got some of its actors, you know, these people who are part of the history of black horror, they're talking to each other. They're not just a face talking at the camera. They have them paired up in a theater and they're watching things and responding to it. They're talking to each other. They're sharing with each other. That helped it be, to me, really funny as well as the, I thought the editing was hilarious. Yeah, it's so good. And apparently Ashley went all over like, her and the team went to L.A. and all that stuff. And she was the one who conducted all of those interviews. Wow, and, uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it just to consider that, like, is so amazing of an undertaking to begin with. But then to have pulled it off with such a plomb, it's just so great. Like, it's such a good documentary. I, I definitely, I, it, it, I really, really loved it. I really loved it, Liam. Like, from top to bottom, there was no part of it that I was bored. It was so good. I think uh, a few things that were interesting. One is they the first movie they talk about is not where I thought they would start, though they do get there pretty quick, and that yeah. would be Night of the Living Dead. They actually start with uh, this older movie. I think it was called Son of Ingagu or Ingagu, yeah, 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 something yeah, like yeah. that. So basically someone had made you know, an essentially immensely racist film in the first movie in which uh, – uh, people of African descent are basically mating with animals. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's offensive and terrible, and it's so over the top that, as Tenerife Du puts it, even white people figured out it was fake. You know, <laughs> they even knew it wasn't real. But there's a there's a, a sequel later uh, directed by one of the actors uh, on um, uh, Amos and Andy, uh, who actually did a lot of great things for black film, even if the show TV show he was on was pretty. Uh, regressive in its representation of of black life and of African Americans themselves, but uh, the the he did a lot of work as a producer and a director, putting out these very black made films, and they talk about this horror film because of the representation. The scientist in it is, is a black, a black woman. woman. Yeah, you yeah, never yeah. saw that. I mean, you almost never saw black scientists. Period in the forties, let alone a woman. And then you see a wedding that's like a normal. In, in other words, that the way that Hollywood through the 40s and i would say in the 50s as well black life had two options a complete stereotype complete excessive thing that that is meant only to help white people feel like black you know folks are not human that was the representation was for them to be ridiculous jokes or inhuman monsters or whatever or 
gone completely. And and, yeah. and they really show how in the 50s, mostly just not present at all, not even the stereotype, which as awful and dehumanizing as it was, at least an actor was getting a paycheck to yeah, represent that. True. In the 50s, at least in horror, they're just gone. The, yeah, these folks well, don't even they're exist. They're saying that because in the 50s, like a lot of the horror had turned towards like the sci-fi horror and right. like space-oriented stuff. And uh at the prevalent notion at the time amongst Hollywood was that black people didn't belong in these scenes. And it's so brutal. And and like that's a thing. Like when they show those movies, you realize like movies like Day of the Earth stood still. It's like, wow, you know, the, the, that shit is insane. That's so brutal. Well, yeah, the, the, the idea that this is a movie that claims to be about the day the earth stood still, which is an experience apparently only white people are having. <laughs> 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 that everyone else on the planet is just kind of like, I guess something's going on. I don't. I don't know. The, yeah. but not not important enough to to matter. So, um, I really like that. I thought they handled the Night of the Living Dead thing really well because it's very important. But we don't want to like act like George Romero made the choices he did uh, consciously that he was making a movie about racism. I think later on he, he realizes he fully embraced it. Yeah. 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 And he realizes how important it was, and he realizes how what was going on socially affected him and helped him make the movie he did but it wasn't you know he he cast who he did because it was a good actor not because yeah. i'm gonna make a statement because he was the best actor on that day right at the audition right and it's yeah pretty intense man pretty intense so was, i would say there was there was a lot of things i really cared about one of the things i wanted to highlight because i think it applies to when we talk about gil scott heron here in a little bit mm-hmm. um i really love the section on Candyman because i think Candyman is a very important film in a lot of ways, but it's also a very problematic film. And I think that's that uh, that uh, capsule of what Candyman is, is sort of how they talked about the entire 70s, that there was a lot of things in black exploitation and black exploitation horror that were really great. So, for example, Sugar Hill, it had this strong woman character, yeah. and there's a lot of representations of voodoo that were not entirely negative, though they were a little stereotypical, but it also still has tropes about you know the black man having a... Uh, desire for the white, for woman, white you know, women. The, the, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. what what is the King Kong scenario? That King Kong is entirely about this stereotype that white people have of black men desiring white women with a giant ape standing in for uh, African men. So, uh, you know, that carries on into Candyman. That, in one way, Candyman is a movie that you know is representing life in this. Uh, urban urban black america yeah yeah, black america that it was being ignored and was being demonized and whatever but it also fails in a lot of ways one that candy man at least in the first film though i think it's made more complicated have you seen the other two movies oh i own the oh my god you own oh how about the third one i have not seen the third one man yeah i gotta say candy man in general not my favorite movie i didn't like the first one oh as yeah, I, I got. I mean, I got to rewatch it. it. I was gonna go stay for it, but then it was getting late, and the Q and A. I can't believe you didn't like it as a kid. It was so important to me as a kid. It was one of the like a pinnacle horror movie for me as a kid. Was it? Yeah. No, I only saw it like maybe. I, when did I see it? I might have seen it when it came out, but uh, yeah, it didn't resonate with me. Wow, I'm really yeah, surprised yeah, that. Yeah. No, it was big for me then. It was much like Judgment Night to me, the first realization that horror movies didn't have to be white. Because when I was a kid, I wasn't watching Sugar Hill. I wasn't right, watching Blackula. Right, right. So I just thought horror movies were basically about white people. That's what they were about. And yeah. when Candy, when I saw Candyman as a kid, I was like, oh, this is 
this isn't set in the suburbs. This is <laughs> this is in the urban environment. Now, there's some problems to me with Candyman, and they talk about this in the movie too. A, you know, I get that the movie's about him falling in love with a white woman, but the way they represent it in the movie, like I think part two does a lot more to flesh out his character and give him uh, more of a complicated thing and, and really make him a, a representative of the sins of white people. But mm. the movie, you know, horror noir makes a really good point, And I've thought this for a while that Candyman as the revenge, the sort of psychological slash spiritual revenge uh, against white supremacy. Why is he haunting Cabrini Green? He should be haunting white people. <laughs> you know, he should be yeah, punishing yeah, yeah, yeah. white people. Um, now, granted, I think what it's meant to represent is this idea of uh, folks not being able to escape their history. Candyman represents the pain of uh, white supremacy suppressing black folks. But mm-hmm. I think that a director who wasn't white might say, sure, 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 sure. That makes sense at, on paper. But this is a movie in some ways for black folks. They want to see Candyman harass some white people. Like really the <laughs> only person he interacts with is white is the woman and he's obsessed with her. It's it's yeah. it's not a great sort of thing. I think there's something about that though that the movie handles very well because it tells both stories. It's yeah, like I, I really Candyman was the- very important. Candyman is a problem. The movie actually very deftly handles those kinds of uh, dualistic things of like, this is a movie, it's really good, but it's also problematic. And I feel as though like, like when they when they discuss Ganja and Hess, it's in there too. And when they discuss uh, uh, movies like Death by Temptation, they definitely approach the whole like, well, you know, there are things about this movie that are really like wrong and uh, are ill conceived. But overall, we still there's still things that are beautiful and joyful about these movies as well. And uh, it's hard to do that, I imagine, in a documentary, especially when the documentary is so focused on the singular idea. You right. know what I mean? So it shows a masterfulness of the of, of the format of the documentary. And I think that this movie is that's one of the reasons why I really did love it, that it showed both sides of like stuff like that, specifically in Candyman, but also throughout the whole movie. It's so good. Yeah, I felt like it did it did that, and you brought up two great examples as well. Even with something like Eve's Bayou, which is a hollowed film, a film that is deeply respected for good reason, it still kind of points out like, well, the use of voodoo is a little weird, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do we do that? So I, I, you know, I think there's something great about that. I would also say, you know, if I was going to criticize it all, I, you know, there's a lot. I think there was more going on in the '90s than they got to, but mm-hmm. I think also they got to keep the movie moving. You know what I mean? They can't spend all their time, you know, talking about all the different versions of, you know, movies that Snoop Dogg did or whatever, you know, like, you know, they talk about Bones. That's pretty good. They talk about (laughs) Tales from the Hood. You know, I I think that was a good, that was a good sort of synopsis. And, And I think they, you know, made a point to sort of get to get out because I think the the problem is you can't not talk about like. If we're talking about black horror, Get Out is so important yeah. and has opened the door so much for people that you have to do it. But you can't spend the whole movie talking about Get Out because that's not what it's about. That's not right, what the movie right, itself right. is about alone. Um, it was yeah. funny when when Phil was talking about pitching to Shutter and they had picked it up. Um, they were like, "Yeah, we'll do it, but you got to get Jordan Peele on here." And Phil was like, "Oh yeah, no problem." And they got the call on like. Uh, they were talking about it earlier. Uh, well, at the at the Q and A, they were saying like, "Oh yeah, we got the call on the Thursday, and by Monday we were in his office." 
That's so cool. It, I, like they're saying so, so like, awesome. Ashley had so many nice things to say about Jordan Peele that it, it sounded like, yeah, that is that's still cool. Like as if we needed more reasons to love that dude. You know what I mean? Like, and she was saying how he was very gracious and very kind with them, and like he ended up giving more time than than uh, had previously been allotted. So that's right. That's cool. That's a good style, man. Good good work, Jordan Peele. So Cinema as Punk loves you. So as a horror fan, I wanted to ask you two things. One, was there anything that you felt like um, you didn't know or you weren't aware of that the movie kind of opened you up to and now you want to check out? And then related to that, was there anything that you felt like needed more coverage or didn't get a coverage at all? So like what what did it sort of introduce you to that would like be like, like you're like, oh, great. Now I, I can find that. And what did you feel like? Oh, I wish there was more of this or I wish there was more of that or this wasn't in there at all. Whatever. Well, I'd never seen Blackula. What? Yeah, yeah, Dude. yeah. So them talking about Blackula in the movie in a way that like, so here's the thing, like when it was presented to me, I thought it was like just some type of slapsticky kind of comedy thing. And I didn't even realize like its place in the pantheon of black horror. So it's one of those movies that like went into it because like I don't I haven't talked about Blackula with anybody. You know what I mean? Like, yo, so yo, it, I think the problem is that you have Blackula and then you have Blackenstein. And the problem is, I think Blackenstein is literally such a pile of trash. It's like unwatchable. I mean, cool that someone tried to make it, but it's so bad. Them making fun of it in the movie was so funny. Right. Oh my God, that part You can't was even see it. You can't even <laughs> see it for most of the movie. It's so painful that people think like, oh, well, Blackula, clearly also a corny, whatever. And it's not. It's actually so good. And it's weird how good it is. The first time yeah. I watched Blackula, I watched it to make fun of it because I assumed it must be stupid. And then it was over and I thought, that's a great movie. That's actually a really good movie. I don't understand why I hadn't watched it before. Yeah. Did you just recently see it? or have I you mean, I it? watched it after college, so after yeah. 2002, but not recently, recently. In fact, most recently, like maybe like six years ago, I watched Scream Back to the Scream for the first time. Um, and that's also surprisingly good. Like, yeah. not like, I don't, in some ways, it's kind of better than Blackula because of uh, Pam Greer, because she's mm. so good in it and she's actually given a chance to do more than she is in other things. On the other hand, there are things I like more about Blackula. So it's like a, it's a mixed bag, but yeah. it, it's worth it to see if only for Pam Greer. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. So them talking about Blackula at length with uh, both the director and the the person who starred in it, I thought that was really uh, eye opening because, again, I had no idea. Um, stuff that I wish that they had covered more, uh, a little bit more of the confluence of like hip hop and horror movies, sure. even though they had addressed like, oh yeah, these are urban like movies and all this other stuff. I definitely wanted to see more about like hip hop influence and like back and forth between movies influence on hip hop in like the nineties and stuff, bands like the grave diggers and stuff like this, like, you know, lots of horror themed movies and uh, or horror themed bands and all this other stuff. And I definitely would have liked to know a little bit more about the interplay between the two of those. But, um, you know, you can't cover everything. It's a tight movie. Right. It's like a, it's like a 90 minute movie, maybe a little bit shorter than that. 86 minutes, something like that. Like I get it. You can't cover everything in there, but, um, you know, to my taste, that would be something I would have liked to have heard a little bit more and had like, you know, people talk a little bit more on, but other than that, the movie yeah. 
pretty much delivered everything on all fronts for me. Yeah. There wasn't anything that I felt like was completely lacking. And that hip-hop thing is only like if you had a gun to my head and you're like, Josh, what did you want that sure, wasn't? Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, that's not just, even that big a deal. I mean, just in the sense that you... I don't mean it as like a direct critique. I mean, like, you are also a person who knows a lot of movies, so there's something that you know that wasn't in there that like, oh, that would have been cool. Uh, if only for listeners who are thinking, oh, well, now I want to find something. I want to go find stuff to watch. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. finding something of those i i i know um to me bones is a very serious movie you know soup dog has done a number of things and, and some of them are less serious some of them are maybe a little corny but i i, I don't know i watched a lot of those in, in the late 90s early 2000s so i i don't know i i agree there's maybe some more there i think for me um i still i it, the movie didn't open me up to it in the sense of I didn't know about it, but I still haven't been able to make time to watch Sugar Hill. And oh, I wow. know yeah, how yeah, important yeah. it Hill's is great. and how great it is. I just haven't gotten to watch it yet. It's like on my to watch list. I think it's even in one of my queues on one of my you know streaming things. I just haven't gotten to it yet. So I think we're going to try to watch it maybe for horror business and do that on like a new horror business soon because I just really want to see it. Another one we're talking about covering for horror business I haven't gotten to see yet is Eve's Bayou. That oh, was yeah, yeah, a movie yeah, yeah. I was almost entirely unfamiliar with and then when they talked about it in the, in the documentary i thought how have i not seen this yet like this sounds exactly like something i would like mm. um i think for me uh a little more time uh on uh you know not that much but you know reminding of like someone like yafet kodo who oh, he yeah. didn't star in a lot of movies but he was a character actor in a lot of things like i think he was pretty important um and i think they spent enough time on the 80s because a lot of the roles in the 80s were kind of diminutive in some ways mm -hmm. but you know uh i think the same could be true of some of the hip-hop horror like that some of it was kind of uh stereotypical or not really you know uplifting but just to sort of mention it because again much like the actors who were trying to get paid a long time ago this is how some people got paid was that they got to do some of these mm -hmm. you know maybe they're trashy movies but at least they got to do it they get is an opportunity for representation of some kind so yeah, you know yeah, just yeah. a little more of that but i'm sure that stuff was covered in the book and if anyone watches the movie and thinks oh i wish they would do more whatever i watched it knowing oh i'm sure that's in the book and if i really want to know more about it i could pick up the book because the book is a much uh, like any book is a much longer thing this has to be fat it has to be entertaining and that's what i'll say is there's so much information in this movie there's so much cool content from the people they talk to and yet it's never boring it never yeah. drags it moves Dude, they have so many awesome people in the movie yeah it's so great it's so great yeah. listening to ken foray talk about and or ken foray and uh and keith david talk about stuff like that was yep. probably one of my favorite parts of the movie just the conversation between those two guys so awesome like when keith david talks about the end of of the thing he's like well i survived the thing <laughs> it's like right. i made it to the end right it was so awesome man it was so great because like they had addressed they addressed like certain tropes yeah. in the movie like oh yeah black people always die and he's like well i made it to the end of the thing so <laughs> i like too so that awesome. that ken frey had to ask him about they live he's like do you make it that end of they live he's like no nah, i got shot <laughs> Like, you know, like the, the, yeah, I, I, I just kind of love that. But even hearing the director of Tales from the Hood or hearing the yeah, 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 uh, yeah. director of uh, Demon Knight, which is one we don't talk about that much, but, you know, there's Jada Pinkett Smith in this starring role. That's really early on for that. I mean, sure, you have Sugar Hill, but that's like within a specific genre. Demon Knight's a big horror thing. And here's Jada Pinkett Smith in this starring role. Yeah. I, that seemed really 
important to me then and it's important to me now so i you know i think it does a great job i can't recommend it enough and it really pushed me to think too when we were thinking about what we're doing this month it's like yeah i want to do this is such a cool opportunity to to cover women in horror month because it's so many women involved in talking about these films like when we talk about women in horror month everyone focuses on directors so we're doing Mm -hmm. women in horror month let's do uh near dark which don't get me wrong i love near dark near dark is great We'll cover Near Dark all the time. I would do it again and again and again. That's not, I'm not criticizing Catherine Bigelow, but it's like we're in February. It's Black History Month. Guess yeah. what? You can cover both these things. I mean, yeah. we managed to do it sure. last year on Horror Business only because Ashley's so great and she educated us. But I think it doesn't have to be just directors, right? There are no. women who are starring in these films. Yeah. There are women who are Give writing these for, films. For Rachel True, who's in this documentary yeah. from The Craft. Dude, she is yeah. awesome. And her segments in this movie are amazing. Hilarious. Dude, her talking about this shit is so frank and brutal. It's so great. It's so Her great. talking about how many times she had to say, are you okay? <laughs> and that they could find a clip that they had to... They After she said that, they literally were like, we got to do this now. We have to find those clips. <laughs> like We have to do the work to find the clips. Um, I thought that was really cool. I also really... Um, uh, I, I think it's really neat to support Ashley Blackwell and Tanner Evdu and Robin Means Coleman together. These are three brilliant, strong black women talking about horror. Everyone should be covering this because this is the time to do it. We're right in the midst of it. Now, granted, I will also say, don't just cover it. You know, when I've talked to people about doing stuff for Women in Horror Month, they're like, hopefully you're not just only covering women in horror on women in horror month it's a great time to highlight that but that should be just part of your regular rotation yes cover john carpenter yes car cover you know fulci or whoever the fuck but cover these women who are making these amazing movies especially the the some of the women who are out there now who are looking for attention someone like izzy lee who like uh is doing these short films and is hoping people will notice you know or some of the women that we covered uh in that episode of horror business so many great uh, female directors and black female directors. So, anyways, uh, I'm really glad this documentary exists. I'm so proud that people I know did something this good. It's like when it's like when a friend's band puts out a record you actually like. And you're like, oh shit, I know that. You know, so, like oh shit, that's good. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, good job. So, uh, we should probably uh, we could go on forever about this. We should probably transition to our other uh, movie we watched. We didn't want to just cover one thing. We wanted to do two. And Josh suggested this. I got to be honest. I didn't know anything about it. And he's like, why don't we do this Gil Scott Heron movie? And I think it's very appropriate because Gil Scott Heron's art is related to horror. You know, what's crazy is I saw today on Twitter today, there was some dude who was criticizing the moon landing (laughs) and he was doing it kind of using Gil Scott Heron, just saying like, it's stupid because nothing came from it. It's a waste of money. Kind of, not noticing that Whitey on the Moon <laughs> is not just about Whitey on the Moon. Like, let's be clear. Like, I I do very much think that when he wrote that, he was criticizing the space program. Right. But he's criticizing the space program because of the abject poverty of America and specifically yeah. Black America. If we lived in a country where little girls were not getting bit by rats and people weren't trying to figure out how to eat food and pay their rent, then going to the mood would be fine. And that's what's so crazy to me. I've This isn't the first time I've seen someone just like talk shit on the space program and bring up Whitey on the moon as if the problem is that people want to go to the mood. Yeah. The problem is not the journey to the moon. It's the horror of black life. And only white people could do that, could say, oh yeah, you know that Whitey on the moon poem? I also think the mood is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, yo, you missed the entire point. The entire it. It's just point. so funny because like the last line is like, I'll send these bills airmail, airmail fast to Whitey on the moon. And it's like such like a yeah, that's the point right there. You know what I mean? And like, right. <laughs> oh, man. So the, the the bridge to hard noir is not just the black experience and the insightful way that Gil Scott Heron talks about black horror. I think I think you could really make a, the claim that the the horror of anti blackness, which I think is sometimes a better way to talk about racism than white supremacy, even is talking about anti blackness. That Gil Scott Heron's art is about anti blackness. That is sort of at the heart of it, and that's connected, mm-hmm. I think, to the experience of you know black horror and what's being represented in a movie like Get Out. All that is right. out there. I think also, though, for me, the Candyman thing, because, you know, Gil Scott Heron's a little problematic. And I want to name that for people who are thinking that because, you know, in some of his early poems, there's some serious homophobia there. Uh, there's a poem with an unacceptable about hard F's in it about being uncomfortable around people who are gay. And, and so, you know, that's hard. That's harsh. That's a bummer. Um, but I don't think for me and i think everyone has to make that decision for themselves that youthful uh mistake uh takes away from the insightfulness of his criticism and i think we all find that especially if you are a student of um a particular criticism not all you know queer theory understands race not all uh feminist work is good at class or race or uh sexuality you know mm. You have to be able to take what you can. And I think for Gil Scott Heron, he's not a theorist. He's a poet, and he's just trying to express himself. And I think this movie, coming as it does in the 80s, so he's been yeah. doing this for a long time, and here Reagan's in power, and oh he could have made the movie that was so dour. He could have made a movie that was so sad that's like, well, now that Reagan's in power, we might as well just give up on black liberation, just give up on the revolution, give up on the, the freedom and equality. And instead... This is a movie that, as negative as it is, is funny and humorous and upbeat and, joyful. and insightful yeah, 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 yeah. and joyful and just a, a celebration of art. I don't know. I, I'm so glad you recommended it because I had never seen it, and it's really powerful. What is, How, when what did is you your, first see it? Well, what is your history with Gil Scott? Yo, I know the Revolution poem, Yeah, and I know Whitey on the Moon, and that's it. I've never listened to really? his music. I literally had never listened to his music i had heard the po- some of the poems i had heard i had read stuff that he'd written that was you know more like essays i knew who he was sort of generally but musically no i mean i'm trying to think i think i might have heard that gun song before mm, yeah um, which is about rizzo yeah he talks about that in the movie it's yeah, pretty it's funny a, how it's a philadelphia Frank- song <laughs> yeah but mostly no i certainly had never heard that washington dc song which is awesome by the way and i kind of assumed his music would i hate to say it be bad because i thought it would just be like free jazz with him doing poetry over top and like honestly that's so far he's actually a great performer he's not the most dynamic vocalist but he knows how to use his voice for the music they're doing it's really great when did you Mm. first see this and how long have you been a fan of Gil scott heron all right so here's a little history on me so uh, when I lived in North Jersey and I was working in a record store, I definitely listened to a lot of like hip hop and stuff to the point where I was uh, designated as a hip hop buyer for a little bit for the store. So I was busy going to Fat Beats and like, you know, just kind of ensconced in that like late 90s raucous era hip hop. Right. Like I, I saw a lot of bands during that time. And uh, I, I definitely saw a lot more hip hop shows and hardcore shows at the time. Which is weird because like that was also when I was at the height of like my hardcore obsession as well. So um, Gil Scott came to me 
through the music first. Like, I remember the revolution will not be televised and all that stuff, but I didn't realize that it was the same person who did Pieces of a Man and all that other stuff. Like, I had I had heard the music first, um, just through the channels of, like, listening to hip-hop in, you know, central northern New Jersey at the time, right? So I actually managed to see him in New York um, probably in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s at SOBs. It was, like, maybe, like, 10 years before he died. Like, sometime, like, 2001-ish. And um, it's transformative. Like, I, I've loved Gil Scott Heron since I was in college. And, um, yeah, the music to me has... I, I love his soul records. Like, I love those records so much. And, like, Winter in America, Pieces of a Man was the one. And then there was, like... A, I remember I got a compilation CD that had like uh, Whitey on the Moon on it and had the whole unabridged uh, revolution will not be televised and all that stuff. And uh, then, it, you know, it's so good to me. And like at the time you had a lot of MCs that were not so much like poetry slam kind of people, but also taking a lot of notes from that. Like if you listen to the early Roots records and like, you know, listen to Organics and like those kinds of things, you hear it in there. And like, you know, uh, there were also other poets that were working at the time, people like Murs and like all those other dudes. And we'd see them all the time. You know what I mean? We used to see them in, uh, at the Wetlands in New York all the time. And this is also at the time when bands like Dead Prez were coming up. And, uh, you know, the raucous roster was heavy with a lot of like people that were also like you know you had your party MCs, you had your thurston how the thirds and all that stuff but you also had a lot more like thought like less party more like backpacker style hip-hop i guess is what they called it at the time so you know you also had venues like the Neorican, you had sobs you had a bunch of places in new york city that were just kind of geared towards these kinds of uh uh events right and so i got to see gil scott during that time and man, that shit was amazing. Like there are two concerts during that time that I had went to that will forever stay with me. And that's one of them. And the other one was uh, I went to the limelight to see Gangstar, which I'm sure <laughs> I've probably talked about on here before. But uh, that was one of the more terrifying. I think nights so. My... Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a pretty wild night because it was Gangstar and M.O.P. and Afu Ra. So it was like first time I saw a gun. It was terrifying. But anyway, it was awesome. It was also at the limelight. And then the train stopped running. So I had to like hang around new york city by myself until the train started running again back to jersey in the morning it was like the most terrifying night of my life but anyway enough about that uh gil scott though uh black wax when i heard that this movie existed it came out in uh i believe it was like 1983 uh, it was for the longest time it was the hardest thing to find like i couldn't find this movie and then um uh, one of my friends at work it didn't get until i was working at episcopal where um one of uh, my co-workers, this gentleman named Muhammad Shah, good friend of mine. Big up, Muhammad, if you're listening. You're probably not. Uh, he gave me a copy of this because he had it on a VHS. And he was like, yo, I got you a copy of that thing. So then I had to like find a VHS player like just to be able to watch this movie. And uh, from the moment that I saw it, I was like, yo, this is so cool. It, it it's definitely and it's funny too because when i think about it like i have seen a lot of documentaries about dc like uh the cool disco dan documentary and um you know uh even the stuff from um from the salad days doc like all that stuff it kind of like revolves around the same socioeconomic uh like center of like poor people in dc which is like the weird juxtaposition between that and government and um yeah this movie dude it definitely the first time i saw it i never forgot it i never forgot it and it definitely brought me back to seeing Gil Scott live at SOBs and like just thinking about like how that felt and just like 
just being around people and like, you know, back then you could smoke inside and all that other stuff. And it was just very like atmospheric experience. You know what I mean? And totally. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching it again for this episode, it definitely brought me back to times. When I was like, yo, this is uh, the shit. Man. Well, I think I think it's <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. I think it's a such an interesting combination of one, his performance, which is really good and really just engaging if you like his music yeah two dude his how about commentary. that bass player his bass player is so amazing but anyway. so good his commentary <laughs> sort of on the situation which you get at the concert you get it in these interstitial things where he's at a wax museum talking about america and american history and you get it in the when he's walking around with the boombox which i actually think was a really brilliant thing him walking yeah. around with the boombox singing along to his own song in so dc good, it right? makes that dc song have like teeth it, it's like yeah, impactful yeah, 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 that yeah. way and and it really does remind you of the the uh the really deep irony and conflict of dc that still persists to this day that dc yeah. is still yeah, yeah, yeah. a scary dangerous place it's getting gentrified but that's not necessarily helping the people who live there uh but in the 80s that it was even more so that you had this this top-down basically evil republican in reagan ignoring a city that's slowly tearing itself apart partly because of crack which as we both know i think the government introduced into that environment anyway so there you go right 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 it's all part of the plan i mean the 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 at some point we're really going to talk about the way that the the war on drugs as well as the crackdown on crime and all that stuff of the 80s was the heightening of what was basically a, another cold war we were fighting yeah. one cold war against the russians and we were fighting a second cold war that was basically a genocide of black people in this country and yeah. we thought that if we had a couple of cosbys and eddie murphy making some jokes no one would notice as we tried to murder everyone and that's really what was happening here and and i think that this movie is another testament to that deep uh, conflict and that deep uh, chasm between reality and what we were talking about. You know, yeah, it's, between it's, reality it's, it's, it's and the experience, the experience of black people in America. And uh, that's the beauty of, of not only Gil Scott's movie, but also his songs. Right, exactly. Dude, it's it's so beautiful. I love his songs. I really do. I, I have a deep respect for the music that Gil Scott Heron made. And uh, man, just to hear and to see in the movie, that's a thing. Like like how you said that it gives that song teeth. It gives his whole oeuvre. It gives his whole yeah. musical like notion. It gives it this like, dude, him walking around reciting Billy Green is dead and all that stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. It, it's one thing to hear it. You know what I mean? But it's another thing to like see what he was seeing as he was writing this stuff. It's so awesome. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing is? Like, he's definitely like like the way Billy Bragg is. He's definitely one of those performers that talks a lot in between songs or like Los Crudos does the same thing. Like, you know, he talks a lot in between his songs. And uh, I know that there's a CD out there where he talks about Jaws. Have you heard this? No. Yeah. He talks about how he's like, am I the only person that was rooting for the shark? That's pretty this, good. He has this whole thing. He's like, "Look, man, it's not like he was walking around in a supermarket. We were in his land." It's like such a funny, like you know, and that's like totally indicative of what Gil Scott Heron is or was. You know what I mean? Like he was this like salient voice of contrarian logic that makes perfect sense and is like way smarter than like you know the mayor sending people like, "Oh no, we're not going to cancel the celebration. We're just going to keep going." And Jaws is out there. So good. So awesome. And the thing is, this movie is also like really, really short. Did you notice, Alien? Like it was like 
it's like not even an hour and 15 minutes long i don't think i think it's like also another short movie yeah that's true actually i i don't i didn't notice it at the time but yeah i think you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, but yet, like, dude, his stuff inside the wax museum, and like him talking to Ronald Reagan, and and uh, and um, what's his name, um, the Duke. Uh, he has that whole thing about uh <laughs> about uh John Wayne, how it could have been John Wayne and all that stuff. Yeah, dude, he, he literally so says great. when he says we maybe we would have been better off with John Wayne. That's a dark comment. That's a yeah, real, it's fucked like, up. Oh, but so, dude. Yo, so good. Thank you so, so much for suggesting this. It was really great. I, I, I hope it's interesting for people when we just are gushing. I, it's probably more interesting <laughs> when we are critical of something. And and I mean, I guess I could be critical like in how it's filmed. It could be a little more dynamic. Blah 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 blah. And if you don't like uh, the two things, you won't enjoy this if you really hate his music. And for you, this is not something you could get into. I don't think there's enough here for you to get past that. You have to at some level enjoy his music and i found out that i do and and now i'm going to be listening more to his stuff um so if you don't like his music this won't work for you also if you're a racist if you're a racist (laughs) you're probably not going to like this if you're thinking i don't know maybe i'll give this gil scott hair guy a chance Uh, i think that's not going to work out for you yeah you're probably not going to listen to it if you're a racist that's for damn sure but uh dude here's the thing the movie starts out in a wax museum with one of the wax uh statues holding a cigarette for Gil Scott Heron that he then takes from his hands. Like, oh, thanks. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's genius. Goddamn genius, man. So good. So good. But All right. Well, I'm glad we I'm glad we talked about it. I think this was a good thing for us to cover. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad that you, the audience, listened to it. Hey, yeah. thanks for checking us out. Here's the thing. If you like us, even if you think, like, well, I don't know that many people, uh, we need you to tell people about us. The only way we're going to grow is if y'all tell all your friends that we're pretty cool uh, you, you can actually say we're not cool but just tell them to listen which honestly if we're being completely honest with each other we're probably not very cool we're not that cool. but yeah, you yeah. don't listen because we're cool you listen because you like it. <laughs> so always rate review and subscribe where uh, on itunes and all that stuff you know it, it's funny to ask for it but it's also the currency that these kinds of things demand so you know if you could help us along on that little journey we would also be uh very grateful as well as uh thank you to our patreon subscribers and uh, like Liam said earlier, we are going to be having some Patreon exclusives. So, you know, I swear if, it's going to happen. If that's a thing, if you're like, yo, you know what? I don't hear enough of Josh and Liam talking. Uh, get on board. Get on board. There's going to be more coming. There's going to be more coming. And uh, let's let's be clear, too. It's not just us. If you're a Cinepunks only listener, there's some great shows on the on the network. We got the horror business. We got wine and cheese. We got, we got the got... Black Sun Dispatches. Love the Black Sun Dispatches. Uh, you know, we, we got the, the mandate. We got the flight stuff. We're adding a new show soon called The Tomb of Ideas. That's a Marvel horror comic uh, podcast. Really great. So good. So, so good. Check it out. Check it out. Also check out some of the writing. There's a great review of Horror Noir by uh, Trey Lawson that is really good. We've got good stuff from uh, Nick Spacek. Constantly is posting stuff. We're basically his personal blog at this point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's always something to check out. So uh, throw us some support. We really we really appreciate you. And I hope you know that that uh, we do this because you all love it and we get great response from you. And that's part of why we're doing it. Yep. Okay. So thank you so much for listening. And that is a wrap on episode 93. We'll catch you guys later. Smoke bomb. Smoke bomb.